is Crawl, a world light years beyond your imagination. Hello and welcome to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host, Leo, and today we're talking about the 1983 film, Crow. I had not really heard of this film before, well, finding it on HBO Max. That's where I watched it. I I had heard, like, some references and whatnot, and I'd seen the, the, the glaive in other things, but before actually going into it, I had never really actually properly heard of it. Though, doing a little bit of research, I did learn that it had become a cult classic. The film revolves around the titular planet Krull, in which this invading presence lands on this planet that is, like, I'm going to say 99% fantasy. Like, the planet itself, it's like, it's like medieval fantasy-esque world that for some reason has intergalactic knowledge for some reason. <laughs> I don't know. But the story stars uh, Colwyn, uh, played by Ken Marshall. Uh, he is a prince, like this brave warrior-esque prince who is to be married to Princess Lis Lisa. Lisa? Let's say Lisa. Um... And she is kidnapped by this, the being that landed called the Beast. He's just called the Beast. And so he must set out as now he has become king because his father got, got unalived. He got, he got stabbed <laughs> pretty bad. So she gets kidnapped and he must set out on a journey after he has a bit of a pout um, when this, like, wizard guy comes up to him, he, who supposedly saw the attack, came down from the mountains, uh, because he was for some reason in, like, a sort of self-imposed self-exile, which, which is, I, I don't know, it, he, he, but he comes down from the mountains and says, yeah, I saw everything, so you're king now, we need to go get the, the glaive, so that uh, you you can kill the beast and get get your uh, get your bride to be back. Uh, at first, he's a bit whiny about it, as recently made kings tend to sometimes be. Sometimes, uh, so he joins him, and they set off on this grand adventure to claim the glaive that lasts about like ten minutes because it, they they get it immediately. Something that would have been the crux of a movie it became it, it kind of irrelevant very fast, actually. <laughs> so he takes him to a mountain, has him set off on the journey alone. He goes and he gets the glaive with like not a whole lot of problems. Like he, he's the guy's super mysterious, and he's like, you know, the guy's like, oh, uh, Colwyn is like, oh, you know, I'll I'll be back in a bit he's like yeah like if if you survive yeah if you survive it'll be back if you're not back by uh eh, I'll, I'll know you you didn't uh make it but like 10 minutes later he's back it's like no problem and he gets ready to like throw it and the guy's like no 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 <laughs> don't don't do that right now 
save it. It'll be beautiful. Save it. So he's like, okay, sure, I, I get what you mean. Then they're immediately, they come across another thing. It's like most of the movies, like building up his party. Although that's also pretty fast because he, <laughs> he comes across like this Robin Hood-esque band of, band of thieves. Uh, who has, in amongst their party, as many people uh, like to point out, Liam Neeson. It's one of his pre-Star Wars roles. It's it's really jarring because he like looks very Qui Gon Jinn in this movie. So just seeing him like that, it's just like mm, okay, neat, I guess. <laughs> but anywho, uh, also amongst the party because everyone talks about Liam Neeson, uh, but someone else who's in the movie that. Um, is not quite as known and not quite as recognizable is Robbie Coltrane who is better known as Hagrid in the uh, Harry Potter films and it's very sad because he very recently passed away and I don't know it. the timing is just awful to be honest it's one of those situations where, like, you watch or do something with that involves someone, and then all of a sudden they they're just gone. It it kind of sucks, you know. It's a shame he he was seventy two, and supposedly the past few years he has had a um, health issues, like the past couple of years. Uh, and, I don't know, I, I haven't seen exactly what happened, but supposedly, you know, whatever was ailing him finally took its toll in the end. And it, it's a shame, he's a fantastic actor. Um, I really enjoyed his performance in the show Still Game, where he plays a manic, uh, bus driver like a kind of could snap at any moment bus driver uh and he, he was fantastic in that he's really good in crawl as well he's kind of a like a more of a background character most of the time to be fair this is one of his early roles um but yeah, he he will be missed, for sure. Anywho, <laughs> moving on from that, continuing the story. Uh, so after they meet up with this band of people, because he Colwyn decides that he needs an army, and he's like, "Do you guys want to be an army? I'll give you pardons," because they're all like freed prisoners, or sort of they they're escaped prisoners and he is willing to set them free and he proves his identity by holding a key that only two people have and he doesn't look like that one guy so he's probably the king so he can actually set us free so they decide to go along with him and so their big goal is to just figure out where this castle um that the beast stays in is 
because the castle moves its location every morning. So as the sun comes up, it disappears from its current location and reappears elsewhere. Which I think is a neat concept, though there's a lot of questions that are brought up because of it, but we'll get to my questions and problems with the film down the line. So, their first choice of figuring out um, where it is, is to go to a man called Seer. He's this old wizard looking guy. I actually really love his character design because he's like very classic old wizard guy. But they go to him so that he can use his crystal to figure out where the castle is. But as he's using the crystal, the beast somehow destroys it. And so they have to go somewhere else. They have to go to this, it's like a temple or a tomb. doesn't matter because they never get there. Because... <laughs> So they, they go, they have to go through this swamp, and while a bunch of people get stuck in this, like, swampy, marshy area, because the beast supposedly, like, turned it to goo, and so they started sinking, the old man's sitting on a log and gets, oh, uh, well, gets got by a, a changeling, or a, a doppelganger, a shapeshifter, there we go. <laughs> he gets got by a shapeshifter that turns into him and takes his place. Uh, and then he tries to attack the prince or the king who kills him and then they have to then change their plan. So they kind of wander aimlessly for a bit uh, until the old man that you know helped kick off the adventure comes back or comes up to him and says, We'll have to consult the widow of the web, who's this spider lady thing or situation. It, it's weird. So he says, oh, I have to do this myself. I, I can get her to tell us because she, I know her actual name. So it's all good. So he goes and ventures there and this is this really cool scene with where there's this like spider, like coming after him and when she talks to him she's she says well who's who's trying to come here you're you're gonna die if you try to come over here by the, by this really rad crystal spider and he says her name and so she then turns over this hourglass which stops the spider and he has to he's then able to kind of get to her though it's a little bit close and he talks to her. And it turns out she is his ex-lover whom he just kind of like left for some reason. And she got pregnant by him but as revenge against him decided to kill their son. So that is why she has sequestered herself in this spider cave for the rest of her life. Um, to as as penance for killing her son uh self-imposed like his thing was uh, no real reason to do it except for you know she feels sad about what she did uh so he convinces her to give him the location 
because she her her real name so happens to be the same as the princess's name, Lissa. It, it when I when I saw that I was like, well, that's a very like Batman v Superman's Martha situation, like because she's like, okay, okay, so he'll he'll be here at this time. Go. Go. But he's like, uh, but the, the spider. And she's like, right. Uh, take this sand from the hourglass. I give my life so that the other Lissa can live. Uh, and for some reason, she gives him a handful of sand so that the spider won't attack him. But... As the sand slips away, so too does his life. So he has to shimmy across these webs with a handful of sand. And then once he gets out of the cave, like he notices that the sand's still slipping out of his hand. So he has to book it back to the crew that's just this entire time been hanging out. Although there's been like a doppelganger that was also there that was somehow convinced by Cold Wind that like... You know, it's all good. So then the beast just kills her for some reason. Um, but yeah, he has to book it back. But while they're just hanging about, we learned that Liam Neeson's character has eight wives. Which was a detail. And one of them was in the near nearby village and just brought them food to eat in the middle of the woods. Because, sure. <laughs> But anywho, the old man gets back to them, tells them when it's going to be, and that they must hurry, and then, I guess, even though he still had, like, some sand on his hand, he dies. Uh, sure. <laughs> so they very briefly mourn his death, and then just leave, but they're like, how are we going to get there fast enough? Like, it's really far away. So, they're like, let's get the flame steeds. These horses that run so fast that they spark fire behind them. And they're like, yeah, let's do that. And so there's a quick scene of them doing that. And then they go. I, I did forget to mention that there's there's a Cyclops that's just kind of been with them. Like most of this time. He just stands about for, like, for the first like 20 minutes. But then he actually becomes more interwoven into the plot. Uh... And his is a tragic story, but we'll get to that a bit later. Um, actually, technically now, because it kind of comes up now. So, the Cyclops, supposedly, the, their race asked the beast to be able to see the future. And they were willing to give up one of their eyes to do so. And the beast granted their wish. They were able to see the future, but they now only have one eye. But, you know, monkey's paw situation, they are only allowed to see their death. So they are a tragic creature, because as they are born, they know when and how they'll die. And they cannot change it. So, you know, there's that. So... At this point, for some reason, the Cyclops, like, after they get the steeds, he's like, okay, 
this is where we part ways because it is time and they're like cool and then they you know ride the steeds to the to the place the only thing is he like comes back like not a couple minutes later it's like okay why why did you part ways if you're just gonna be here anyway <laughs> but it turns out his death uh is getting crushed in a doorway like there's a lot of deaths like from this point on as people are just picked off one by one as they're assaulting the the fortress uh like everyone dies <laughs> like the all of the band of um thieves slash prisoners slash i guess makeshift army die including sadly Ro uh, robbie coltrane's character liam neeson's character in which he I, i'm gonna say very rudely uh says asks one of his mates i think the guy that the one thief that survives the lead bandit uh where he says tell the wife that you know fed us in the woods that i love her and it's like okay what about the other seven you know but anywho they they work their way through the um the fortress and they he's he's able to save her he uses the glaive finally to like cut open the thing she's stuck in uh gets her out and then the beast comes and he like throws it at the beast and like he you know he, he's he's able to control it by like like a pseudo force thing like he, he just like holds his hand out and he can like move it around but he like throws it and like attacks it and then brings it back and he throws it again and he like sticks it into the beast's chest and the beast falls and he stands there for like a good minute minute and a half trying trying to pull it out using you know his telepathy thing that he for some reason now has he's pulling at it and he's like oh it's not working so he like walks over to the beast to just like grab it but oh, the beast is still alive <laughs> and so the beast just like they like chases them down a bit corners them and then of course there's the the power was in you all along thing um where he like shoots fire out of his hand at the beast and kills the beast it's kind of silly but you know it, it's it's probably part of the reason why it, it didn't rate so well in theaters because it is it's corny as hell I, there's things i'll give it props for and whatnot but but with the beast dead they now have to escape they escape <laughs> and get out and the castle collapses and whatnot and then they have a hearty laugh and walk into the distance where eventually it freeze frames and that's the end of the movie so it, it's it's a pretty good film <laughs> I, I wouldn't rate it as like my favorite thing there's a lot of questions it brings up for me so for example the opening and closing dialogue like narration is pretty much stating that these two 
get married, like Colwyn and Lissa get married and have a kid. And that kid becomes the ruler of the galaxy. My question is how? <laughs> because when when I first saw like the intro, the first thing that came to mind is like, oh, it would be it actually be like a really interesting concept, kind of like a cowboys versus alien situation where where like this dominating space force comes down to a planet and just meets like medieval Europe kind of situation. You know, knights and horses and dragons and shit. It would be kind of like hilarious and fun. But instead it's very awkward because in this situation they're all very aware of who the beast is, what the beast does, and what's happening. Instead of the kind of cool situation of like just why, what's happening, what's going on, what instead it's just you know it's like okay, yeah, um yeah, my question is how do how do the powers know know about these things like the the seer is able to like pinpoint where the guy is and where he'll be next the the widow's able to see where he'll be next like how how do they know this and then there's the cyclopses like was the beast here before? Were the Cyclopses from a different world? And for some reason came came here? <laughs> like, what's going on? How How is this kid going to be on this mostly, like, medieval fantasy world? How is he going to get into space and rule the galaxy? It's just a lot of questions. Because, like, the beast definitely came from outer space. Because in the beginning of the movie, you see his fortress coming down to the planet. It's weird. Then there's the issue with the glaive. In most movies, that would have been like the the end goal MacGuffin. You know, they spend like half the movie getting it. And then the rest of the time going to like the castle. Instead, they decided, you know, the, the, the bulk of the story is going to be the journey. You know, kind of Lord of the Rings-esque. <laughs> you know, they have the MacGuffin. They just need to get it where it needs to be. So, I can kind of respect that. But at the same time, it's like... You don't use it for much. Like, literally, he kills, like, maybe five people with it. Because they, they're attacking him while he's trying to cut open this, like, ruby chamber that uh, Liss is in. And then he's like, oh, I'll just use this as, like, a power saw. And he, he like, throws it at the wall and then, like, uses the force. Because <laughs> it's, it's, like, a weird telepathy thing that he has control with it for. But he uses that to, like, cut this hole out of the side of the thing. And then they hit it and, like, he's able to get them out. I was expecting, like, a maybe... Like, at first I was kind of expecting a... Uh, what's the word? A He-Man-esque universe. <laughs> Where, like, it, it's mostly fantasy, but there's, like, technology mixed in. You know, so, like, I have a sword, 
but the sword might shoot a laser. That kind of thing. Or they might have laser guns or something. But no. No, for the most part, the world of Krull is like almost pure fantasy, except for the fact that there's an alien that landed, and for some reason, everyone on this fantasy planet knows about the alien. Like, they're completely aware of who he is, what he does, and what's happening. It's very weird. The Beast's design's kind of neat. It's, it's like a... Kind of take a take a gray alien. You know, your, your standard bubble-headed gray. Give it, like... Like, mean eyes. Like, maybe an... Like, take, take the gray and then, like, cross them with a... Um, an octopus... And you'll have a decent kind of idea. Like, minus the tentacles. So he, he has kind of like a beaky, like, teethy maw. It, like, look look him up. He's, he's it, It's a pretty good design, but also kind of silly. Something that is absolutely amazing is some of the set design in the Beast's Fortress Castle thing. Uh, they're just really cool. Like, they're... Like these kind, of, like they would fit very well on the cover of like a heavy metal album. Like when you first see Lissa in this in the fortress thing, she's in like this eyeball thing, and then as she's like trying to move around and try to find an exit, there's also like this really big like claw hand room that she runs through. Like, the design's ridiculous, but at the same time, it looks amazing. So, mad respect for that. It's beautiful. Uh, and, of course, the, the set for the spider, or the widow of the web. Like, that area's really coolly designed, because it's, like, all these, like, huge webs, like, stuck to the walls. Like, all connect to the center chamber that she's just chilling in uh and like as he's crawling along there's this like really big like crystal looking spider like it looks really cool and i love the the design of it the cyclops his design looks like it could very easily like you could take him and just like plant him in something like the odyssey and he'd fit pretty well <laughs> like it looks pretty good uh, uh, others kind of sticking some minor sticking points. Uh, there, there's a comic relief character called uh, Ergo, and his whole thing is that he's bad at magic. Like he he does magic, but he's bad at it because he he has like these spells that are on I guess the medieval equivalent of flashcards, and he has them like jumbled up and I guess mislabeled. So he's like, oh, I'll turn you into a, a this, that, or the other. But he can only really, you know, turn himself into those things. So he's like, I'll turn you into a goose. And he turns himself into a goose. Uh, at one point, he turns himself into a dog. And the, the little boy that accompanied the seer uh, just, like, picks up the dog and carries him. <laughs> but in the end, he's able to turn himself into a tiger. And watching it, I was like, did they... Do they have that kid in a room with a tiger? Hmm. Like, that that tiger acted really well. I will say that. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I would definitely say it's cheesy. So definitely go into it understanding it's cheesy. But it's some pretty good dumb fun. Like you can turn off your brain and just be like, yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty, pretty good. Pretty fun. <laughs> um, it's not a terribly long movie. It comes in just like over two hours, just over two hours. Um, so not terribly long. That You might get a little bit tired of, you know, them being sidetracked. Because they're going one way, they're doing one thing, but oop, now we have to turn and go that way. Nope, now we have to go go that way. And so, sorry, now we have to go this way. <laughs> you know, all just trying to find a different way to figure out where's the thing going to appear tomorrow. <laughs> so, you know, it, it can get a little bit annoying there, but for the most part, it's a nice, fun adventure. I would love to see someone's interpretation of a sequel like you know bridge the gap between this and the kid becoming ruler of the galaxy please I, i'm actually very surprised that they haven't attempted to make a sequel with all of these like old properties you know being revived and whatnot you would think that someone would have been like crawl you know it, that's a cult classic people you know you know we could technically build a story off of it I'm surprised they haven't. Of course, sadly, all of the like nostalgic characters that they they could like exploit, eh, probably, probably not. Well, I mean, they couldn't use them anyway because the, the, mo most everyone in the movie dies. So, like, the people you could bring back are like Colwyn, the princess. The people you could bring back are like Colwyn, the princess. Um, the, the wiz, the, like, wizardy guy, Ergo, the, the guy that's bad at magic, and, like, the kid. Like, and maybe the other guy. Maybe. Other than that, probably not. Ideally, the way you'd probably do it is you would, um, you do Legend of Korra situation. Everyone before is not a problem. You're dealing with whole new characters. For the most part, but like there's maybe some like some links to the past. <laughs> yeah, I, I would definitely recommend giving it a look. At least give it five minutes. See if the world interests you at all. If not, you know, give it a pass. It's fine. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's required viewing. It's good old eighties like fantasy for the most part. It's a good old fair. It's just annoying that they give like they have a MacGuffin they don't really use it in fact you forget about it and then the whole like the name of the movie is just the planet like nothing within the movie like has anything to do with the title the title's Krull and they're on the planet Krull but they could also be like in New Zealand or something for the most part like <laughs> or Scotland like Nothing's super fantastical about the world to justify the name, I guess. But it it's fine. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Uh, if you guys liked 
uh, what what you just listened to. There's more episodes that you, you can listen to if you haven't listened to them already. Uh, I will once again be back on Monday. Uh, this uh, should be good. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll be back Monday with another episode of this lovely podcast uh and hopefully things continue to get better I'm, I'm starting to find my stride things are getting smoother um for the first actual monday separate from this uh we're gonna be doing some halloween stuff a spooky thing yeah uh for halloween we'll be doing the thing uh and also the blob yeah I'm gonna do. I'm actually gonna make it a double a double header episode to compare. Actually, no. I'll do so, I'll do something different. I'll do something different. It's gonna be the thing, but it's gonna be the the two versions of the thing. It's gonna be the 1950s the thing from another world, and it's going to be the 80s the thing. I am also gonna do a a the blob episode that will be part of the first initial like drop of episodes so um go ahead and listen to that now if you want that that should be out alongside this <laughs> but next week is going to be uh a the thing double header i won't be touching the 2011 one because that's that's a that's an episode on its own <laughs> but i will be doing a, a the thing double header Anywho, <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening. Go ahead and check out uh, my YouTube channel, Leo Legionnaire, um, as well as a bunch of other things that I may or may not be doing. Who knows? <laughs> Go look at the things. Um, but anywho, uh, if you'd like to get in contact, please feel free to uh, tweet at... Uh, tweet at... Uh, what's the at it's at lost in sci-fi and fantasy i think it's something like that again the the thing will be in the description or feel free to email um at lost sci lost in sci-fi and fantasy at gmail.com it they're, they're long titles <laughs> anyway thank you guys so much for listening i will see you guys later goodbye